0: All right, hey, if you're able to this morning and uh, you desire to honor God's Word with me, would you please uh, stand with me as we read? And we're just going to read a few verses uh, from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 18. Habakkuk 2, verse 18. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts his own creation— When he makes speechless idols, woe to him who say to a wooden thing, Awake, and to a silent stone, Arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord in his holy temple, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Lord, we trust for you to minister to us, mold us, shape us, create us in your image. Help us to be the people you want us to be. Rid us, us of our anxiety, our depression, our angst, our questioning, Lord, and lead us into the throne room this morning and give us your security, your strength, your boldness, and your peace. And we trust you for it in Jesus' name, the church said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So um, if you've been here for for a few months now, you know we've been in this book. And this book is this prophet habakkuk and he's calling out to god and he's questioning god god why god why are you allowing the world to be the way that it is god why are you allowing so many people of your faith so many people who are called by your name to in essence be running away from you to be turning from you how come they're not worshiping you anymore why are they worshiping other things and god is responding to him he's he's Answering these questions in the midst of difficulty and trial and tribulation, God is still ministering to Habakkuk. And last week we, we kind of highlighted the five woes, right? The five woes to the, the armies that are being used by God to punish Israel for turning away from God—the Philistines, the Babylonians, the the, the Assyrians—kind of coming down the pike and 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 punishing God's people for turning away from Him and and. And so he's questioning this, and and these woes kind of come out. There's five of them. If you remember, the woes include woe for those armies for using people, for bloodshed, the accumulation of wealth, woe to them for sexually exploiting people, woe to them for idol worship, which is what we just read here. And if you remember last week, I shared with you the— it's actually called a chiasm. Uh, I forgot the term last week, but a chiasm is used in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament— uh, to kind of, it's, it's kind of like a bridge or a, or, or a way to focus on an overall heading or an overall idea of what the author wants you to understand about a particular text. So the way in which a chiasm works, I'll show you in this particular text here, in, in the beginning of chapter 2, it gives us two woes. Woe to you for using people and woe to you for the accumulation of wealth. Then there's a third woe and then two other woes after that. So five total and the two surrounding woes are like bookmarks to focus you into the third one. So if you go to the third one real quick, uh, I showed you this last week, and this is just a little bit of a refresher. The main point, what this chiasm does, this pointing to the center idea of this particular passage is in verse 14. Now, this is the third woe. In verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and the wa- as the waters cover the sea. So the whole point of what God's trying to make here is he's trying to basically tell us as the reader, as well as those who are, who are going through this process, as well as Habakkuk who's going through the process, hey, hey! at the end of the day, even through trial and tribulation, even through punishment, at the end of the day, the entire earth will be filled with the glory of God. Amen? One day the earth will not have the, the, the weird political spectrum that it has, it will not have the outcry of the, the social warrior, media keyboard kind of person. Like one day all of those voices will cease and we'll be surrounded by people who have the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the gospel. Imagine earth filled with peace and hope and forgiveness and mercy and goodness and singing. That's what the world will be like. That's the center of it all. So God is kind of, in this chapter two, he's been bringing out these kind of, you know, this is not how you should operate, this is not how you should be, and woe to you if you are that way. And I had to this morning, because it just, by way of basically having a shepherd's heart, I had to kind of take this passage and lift it out. And I, I mentioned this to the first service, and it'll probably land just as dead in the second service, but I, I kind of imagined myself like Tony Stark pulling out verses 18 through through uh, the end of the passage here, up out of the page and kind of opening it up. You know what I'm talking about? Thank you for the four of you <laughs> who watch the Marvel movies. I work with Brad, and I know Brad's a Marvel guy, so he gets it, right? This is my time to be Tony Stark. Um, and uh, as, as I pull out this section from chapter 2 and verses 18, 19, and 20, this idea of idol worship, it needs to be spoken about Again. I've talked about it in the past probably multiple times and and if it seems repetitive it should because the Bible is repetitive in regards to this topic. The idea of what idol worship is now in our minds, you know, it mentions here that the what it's asking the question, what profit is there to an idol? Someone has shaped it, a person has shaped this idol out of image and he's made it in his own creation. And he's began to bow down and worship that idol. Most of us, when we think of idol worship, we go immediately back to the book of Genesis and the golden calf, and here's this golden calf shaped out of earrings, and the people bow down to it, and they pray to it. But the Bible isn't specifically talking about just a golden calf. It's not just a physical thing. It can be. But there are multiple places in the Bible where it talks about idols of the heart, idols that come from within. The idea behind an idol essentially is that an idol is something that you lean into for comfort, for guidance, maybe hope, maybe distraction that leads you away ultimately from God. Or rather, another way to say it is, an idol is something we go to for some hope or comfort instead of going to God. An idol is anything that, that our heart, and we're all, we're all full of this, by the way. Every single one of us are inclined naturally to worship something other than Jesus alone. That's the nature of sin. Uh, John Calvin, who wrote quite a bit about this in the Reformation, he says this about the human heart. He says it's a factory of idols. It's one of the most popular quotes about idol worship there is. He says, the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us, from his mother's womb, is an expert in inventing idols. He says, our our heart's like a a conveyor belt. We just keep churning out these things of false worship. Man's mind, he goes on to say, is full of its own pride, its own boldness. It dares to imagine a God according to its own capacity. As it sluggishly plods, indeed is overwhelmed with the crassest ignorance, it conceives an unreality in an empty appearance of God. That's Calvin's definition. Another definition, which is really popular is an idol is anything that, that, that may be good that turns into an ultimate thing that then becomes a bad thing? Idols typically are good things. They're not bad things to, to start out with. Uh, I think I shared in the first service, I'll share with you, and this has been an ongoing conversation for me, at least from the pulpit with you as my, my family. But when my dad passed away, shortly after that, as I was dealing with the cope and the stress, I gained an incredible amount of weight pretty quickly. It's, it's quite incredible how fast you can gain weight. And, and, and then once I started getting healthy and holistic, I lost the weight. And then sure enough, I saw another pattern in my life when COVID hit and we were in shutdown and I gained a lot more weight again. And I realized in the second time around, okay, I obviously have an idol in my life that when things get stressful, when I start to feel anxiety and I start to feel like I need to make hard decisions for not only myself, but my family and other people, I have a tendency to cope with food. Okay, so food makes me feel better it's an idol in my life. Jesus should be the thing that makes me feel better. The gospel should be the thing that makes me feel better. but because I 'm a sinner, I have a tendency to look outside of Jesus and go to food to help me feel better. And, and what we're going to do this morning is we're going to kind of define and flesh out what an idol is, but we're going to get to the heart of what an idol is or the heart of, of we're gonna, really what we 're going to try to do this morning is attempt to discover what your idol is. That you can expose that idol before the Lord before the Lord and allow the Lord to lay it to waste. Right? Because when the Bible talks about idols, it essentially says you have to call the idol out, confess what that idol is, and tear it down. Kill it. Murder it. Get rid of it. So let's talk about that and, and hopefully get to a place of understanding what our idols are. First of all, what are some examples of idols in our day and age? Well, one is the flesh, right? Just, just the self. Like, The self, the ego. And a lot of our idols kind of play out from the self or the ego. But let's be honest, most of us in the room, we kind of enjoy, we kind of desire that life will be lived around our sphere, right? That life will revolve around us. The question may be towards others, what can you do for me? Uh, One author says, the love of our own glory, the love of our own glory is the greatest competitor with God in our hearts, right? We, we like to be the center of focus. We like people uh, to like us. We like people to, to, to cater to us, to serve us. That's why we have whole industries like, um, like massages and going out to eat and, right? When was the last time you went out to eat and you got frustrated that you weren't really being taken care of, right? Like I know when the, the server's doing well, when I never have to ask for my drink to be filled up. It's very important. The self is an idol. Your own comfort can flow out of this. The second one is physical beauty, or another way to say it is, is your image. What you portray to other people can be an idol. Like looking good, right? This is the culture of the selfie. That used to not be a term. Right? Selfie, didn't. that word never existed. Why? Because it's really hard to take a selfie with a Polaroid camera. It's tough. And this is the society in which we live in, the focus of self. And 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 this, to, to be like, to look at this one as like early on in our walk with God, like how long this stuff has existed, this is all the way back in the Genesis account, right? Adam and Eve walked in the Garden of Eden with God in perfect unity and great relationship. Everything was great. Everything was beautiful. And then all of a sudden, sin enters into the scene. They've turned their back on God. They recognize that their identity is that of nakedness and they become shameful and they take. A cloth, and they cover themselves. The image of God must now be covered somehow, some way. I have to portray a different image to the Lord. Right? They were ashamed before God. They were no longer in a place where they were like, "I am unashamed before the Lord. I love who Jesus is, and I know that Jesus loves me for who I am." As soon as sin entered, I've got to cover this up. I've got to look better than I really do, right? And then we get into stuff like, like, if you ever ask someone when you first meet them. When you first meet somebody, what they say will will immediately tell you a lot about that person, right? Because oftentimes one of the first things that comes out is, "Well, what do you do?" Right? And, and typically, what they'll answer is something like this: "Well, I'm a, I'm a firefighter. I'm a business owner. I'm a I'm, oh, very good, very good, yeah." yeah. And then the reality is, the reality is, is that that isn't who you are. That's what you do. But typically, we'll answer with who we are, right? Like, and so we've built a whole culture of, well, I'm the buff guy, or I'm the fit gal. I'm the hard worker. I'm the genius. I'm the businessman. I'm the ski guy. My biological father, um, he was known in, in town, in Truckee community, he was known as the Birdman. man. That was my, my biological dad. So my biological dad, he used to, um, he used to hang out at all the bars, uh, Pastime Club and Bar of America, when Bar of America was Bar of America. Does anyone remember when Bar of America was Bar of America? Like, like it was the bar, and you didn't go there unless you were very American, right? So, the Bar of America, the way you like, I actually, this is a true story. When I was a young kid, I saw my mom getting a bar fight at Bar of America. It's a true story, Sean. So this is it's a true story. My mom would take me down there. She got in a big old fight. And I used to tell people, you have not lived life until you see your mom get in a bar fight. It's quite amazing. <laughs> my biological dad used to, used to take me into the pastime club while he drank, and he'd sit me on the bar at the pastime club, and every now and then give me a few bucks to go to the variety store. And everybody knew my dad. His name was Clint Holsey. Everyone knew him as Birdman because he always had a, an African gray uh, parrot on his shoulder. And he loved birds. He raised them, still loves them to this day. He was the bird man. And he would take his, his initials, C-H, and, and everywhere in town you went, and this is a true story, everywhere you went in town, you could find my dad's initials in almost every bathroom in town. C-H. My dad has been here. That's good to know, right? And his identity was the guy at the bar, the bird man. This is, this is the image. Image can be an idol. And it plays out in all kinds of ways, the kind of cars we drive, the house we have. Here's a big one in our community to call out idols for what they are, recreation, sports and playing, right? God's given you an ability to snowboard and to ski and to do these different things. But at the end of the day, recreation is something that we do because it's a gift from God. It's not something that we are, right? And and like I said earlier, remember, idols are good things that we make ultimate things that then become bad things. And one of the things about idols is that we'll have a tendency when we're worshiping those idols or we're turning away from God in a way that's really, really unhealthy, we actually will start to revolve our whole rhythm of life around that idol. And there are several of you who who moved here 30 years ago simply to revolve your life around the idol of skiing or snowboarding. You don't have to confess who you are, but we know you exist. Right? So th- those of you who really really need to hear this, you're not even in the room, you're out climbing a mountain, right? That's the result. That's the reality. And so instead of revolving our lives around the gospel and around Jesus and the rhythms of the gospel, we will surround our lives around that idol. And oftentimes we, we have seen whole families just disappear for seasons at a time because they've revolved their life around a particular sport or activity and not necessarily around the gospel. Nature is one of those idols that exist here as well relationships, friends, kids, family, marriage. You can make your wife an idol. You can make your husband an idol. You can make your kid an idol. Um, I've got four kids, right? Three boys. And I I love my kids. They're a blast. Uh, They're they're all kinds of fun. And um, one of the things that I love is football. I love football. You know that. I've talked about it before. You know how many of my kids love football? None of them. None of them. So there's no vicarious living through my children. I wish there would be some vicarious living through my children, right? And and you see that, you know what's a big deal in Truckee? You may not know this. Some of you may because you've had kids and you've done this in the area. You know what's kind of a real, kind of a bummer to have your kid partake in here in the Truckee area? T-ball. Because parents get crazy about T-ball, right? They do. They didn't make that team. They didn't get on this. I mean, it's it's a little kind of weird. and And you see parents get super angry when... When coaches don't do what they want or they're, how come my kid's not in there? Because he sucks. What do you want? No, I, just... <laughs> I used to coach, so I know. I coached uh, freshman football, and there's that tension, right, between I want him to do well, and, and, and you'll see parents have turned their kids into an idol. They're getting their self-worth from the performance of their kid. Or I've seen parents attach their kids' worth to the college that they attend, to the career path that they've chosen. I've seen even parents ashamed of saying that their kids do certain things as a career because they don't want, uh, they don't want it to reflect poorly on them. All of those things are idols. Um, Ecclesiastes 3.11, you should write this down. It's a good verse. It says this, that God has made everything beautiful in its time, and he's, put, he's also put eternity in man's heart. I think this is a great verse on idols, and the reason for that is this. God's made everything beautiful in its time. Right, there's a time to have a, a glass of wine for those of you who can partake. There's a time to have a steak dinner with your family and lobster if you want to throw that on there too, which I would. There's a time to, to recreate. There's a time for that. There's a time for all of these things, but your life should not be focused around them. You're, the rhythm of your life shouldn't be focused around them. And then I like the second part, he says, because he's put eternity into a man's heart. And one of the things you know inside is that there is a life beyond this one. You sense it in there. I believe that, even amongst people who don't believe in Jesus. There's an overall sense that, that everything we do is going to echo into eternity. And so what he's saying is, in essence, he's saying, listen, you have freedom to do all kinds of great things in this world. You have freedom to enjoy all kinds of great tastes, all kinds of different... I mean, you may be a, a Disneyland person, right? I love Disneyland. It's the happiest place on earth. It isn't, <laughs> but you might think it is. Go! Go! I took our, we took our kids right before the last lockdown. They had a blast. It was incredible. Pretty sure we had COVID when we were there, and that's why LA had gone on a lockdown. But outside of that, it was an incredible time. But we're not surrounding our lives around Disneyland. Like, it's not an annual trip that we do every year because, well, we want to make sure that our kids are indoctrinated with Disney. Like, we have to teach our kids. There's a season for things, but there's eternity in your, in your heart. And ultimately, we should be living... For that which is eternal. Now, why do we worship idols? I think it's the next question we should ask. Those are some examples, maybe, of idols. We're going to get to to um, to identifying them here in a minute. But why is it that our hearts just are naturally inclined towards this? Well, the first reason is this: that's just the nature of mankind. You've heard me say this a hundred times, probably a million times. You were created to worship. You were created to give your heart to something, and because we're creatures of worship, we will naturally give our hearts to something right? There, there's, a reason, there's a reason why the entertainment industry exists. There's a reason why we've enjoyed going to movies and we enjoy watching Netflix because we want to give our attention to something. We're built that way, naturally. You don't even have to try. All of us love to be entertained, every single one of us. I'm really kind of appreciating all the news right now where you know, the celebrities are, are begging us to go back to the movie theater. <laughs> no, I'll stream you later you can stay poor so the nature the nature of man is creatures of worship and so naturally we're going to give our attention to something and we'll talk about the importance of that here in a moment the other reason is is fear we have a tendency naturally to worship something cuz we're creatures of worship but fear plays a great a great role in in leading us towards worshipping things or or towards uh, things that we shouldn't. So let me give you an example. Isaiah chapter 30 says this to the people of Israel, Woe to you, you rebellious children, because you don't take counsel of me, but you devise plans, not of my spirit, because now you're going to add sin to sin. You go to Egypt, and and you don't ask for my advice, but you ask to be strengthened in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Now, the reason this is important is because where did the people of Israel come out of bondage from? Egypt. So they come out of Egypt, and over a period of time, they start to feel the pressure of the culture around them. And what God is rebuking them for, he says, in your fear, you didn't come and ask for my advice. You didn't come and run to me. Rather, you went back to Egypt. You went back to your bondage with all of its false idols, and you asked to be strengthened by Pharaoh, that you would find your boldness, and you'd find your backbone in another nation and not in Christ. And this adds to the woes of which Habakkuk is sharing, that, that, that you should not be worshiping anything other than Jesus. And here's the third reason. So outside of it's our natural tendency to worship, and we have fear issues, we want to feel secure, uh, we ultimately want, we want to be in control. Don't we? The reason we create false idols, the reason that we is to create an illusion, and that's exactly what control is. An illusion of being in control. Did you know being in control is an imaginary friend? (laughs) Do you know you're in control of nothing? Control is an illusion. And this is why the gospel is so powerful. Because the gospel doesn't say, take control of your life. The gospel says, give control of your life to the one who's already in control. Give your life to the one who knows it all. So that way, whether it's up or down, you're not freaking out. and You're not worshiping something that you shouldn't but you're turning back to the Lord. Now, it's important for us to understand the nature of idols, right? We have a proclivity to worship something or things that we shouldn't, a proclivity to fill our minds and give our attention to things that will help us cope with life. But the Bible shares a few things about the nature of idols that are important for us to realize why we shouldn't worship them. One of them is found directly in the text. Look at the beginning of chapter uh, 2, verse 19. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter uh, 2, verse 18. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of what? Lies. The first thing about idols is that idols, when we turn from the Lord and we turn to something other than, than God for attention or comfort, whether that's Netflix or an extra drink or whatever it may be, going outside, doing a, a mountain climb, doing you know, skiing, whatever it may be, false gods, false idols will lie to you. They will always fail to deliver, right? Idols will give you a promise up front. If you binge these eight episodes of Lost, remember Lost? Yeah. Cultural references, just, just keep going. Over here. If you binge the first eight episodes of Lost, you'll be content until you go to bed at 3 a.m. and you got to go to work at 6 a.m. And then all of a sudden your day's not so great because you've been watching Lost all night long. Right? They fail to deliver. If a house is your idol, if I just, if I just get this one home, if I get this house, I'll, I'll feel like I belong to this community. So you buy the house. Inevitably, what happens once you buy the house? Well, it would be nice if we redid the kitchen. Well, it would be nice if we redid the bathroom. You know what would really be nice? Let's change the paint. Let's change the floors. And then what happens is if that thing is your idol, it never satisfies, does it? It just keeps coming. Here's the one thing I've learned about home ownership. It's more expensive than it should be. (laughs) And things are always breaking. (laughs) Like constantly things are breaking. We just installed new floor not that long ago and, and new trim. And the trim, because we have four kids, already looks like we've lived in there for 20 years. We've lived in there five. Okay? Kids beat the snot out of stuff. So if you, if you worship the idol of having a nice, comfortable home, don't have kids because they'll kill that idol. <laughs> or you'll kill your children because you love the idol more than your kids. That's the nature of idols. They lie. They don't deliver. And I think what's interesting, in it, 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 it's in the text here, but it's, it's more emphatic in the New Testament. The idea that these idols lie, that they're liars, shows us, the the reality that these are not just dead things, but behind the dead things is a living demonic thing. And the New Testament says this pointedly, that there are demons behind these idols, and they are preaching these demons a falsehood to you. They're trying to get you to buy into the lie. Idols are twisted versions of reality. Listen to what it says out of... Uh, uh, Zechariah chapter 10 verse 2 I think it's Zechariah I was going to say Ezekiel chapter 10 verse 2 for the household gods these are false gods they utter nonsense and diviners see lies they tell false dreams and give empty consolation therefore the people wander like sheep they're afflicted for a lack of a shepherd couple things I want to pull out of this number one take a look here these false demons these false idols have a way of getting inside your dreams did you see that getting inside your mind, giving you empty consolation. Right? These, these idols have a way of taking root and lying to you in such a way they become so deep inside of your mind that, that you well revolve your life around them and you'll start to begin to believe the lies. And part of the problem, and this is why I, I believe we had to take this piece out and, and highlight it out of all of the other woes, is look at the second part of it. They're afflicted for lack of a What? shepherd. I see this as an encouragement that that the people are wandering away from God and into false idol worship, which is demonic and they're believing lies because their shepherd or their pastor or their minister or their leader or their prophet refuses to stand up to talk about the reality of sin, that sin is something we should not dive into and should be repented of. Right, That the shepherds are no longer standing in front of the congregation and saying, your life is not going to be best lived watching Netflix, streaming into your social media, or hiking on the mountain every weekend, or getting in the latest lines, or whatever it might be. There's no amount of money, no house big enough, no clothing cool enough, no car rad enough for you to drive that will give you the identity and the security that you need. It will lie to you, it will trick you, it will trap you, and you'll not be better because of it. The nature of idols is they are liars and they don't deliver. And that they're not just an emotion, they're not just a thing, they are demonic. And it's important that you listen to good preaching and teaching that calls out the demonic so that you can live for the spiritual. Amen? Here's the other thing, the nature of idols. Not only do they lie, uh, not only do, do, are, are they demonic, um, but you become what you worship. What you give your life to, you become. Greg Beal, he says it like this, what people revere, it's another way of saying worship, what they give their attention to, they resemble either for ruin or for restoration. You know what's interesting is we, we like to think that in American culture, especially American church, that we don't have an idol issue. We don't have an idol problem. Now, I know we haven't, um, we haven't had too many in-stadium uh, sports events in a while, but I don't know if, if you've ever watched a live football game. Have you ever noticed how some of those fans have a tendency of dressing up before the game? I shouldn't say before the game. I said during the game, right? I mean, let's just let's just take a uh, Old Testament Pharisee, right? He's in the Old Testament. He he's seen the world for what it is. He knows what idol worship is, and and he's revolved his life around Yahweh because he's a good Pharisee. He's good. He's a good Jewish man. Let's say we time-traveled him, brought him right over into 2021's NFL stadium and said, take a look. What do you see? Right? If you're a Vikings fan, there are purple dudes everywhere. There are dudes dressed like Vikings, like literal Vikings, like, like they spent hours in front of the mirror to look like a Viking. So they could come to a stadium filled with 65,000 other people who also look like purple Vikings. And to stand there and to scream and to give adoration and attention, he did it! And as soon as their idol fails them, crucify him! That's what idols do. When they deliver, when an idol delivers, you worship it, you praise it, you talk about it, you emphasize on it. When the idol fails you, crucify it. It's played out in sports like no other. Right, this in the off season of almost every sport, if your team wasn't good, they hired a new coach, they hired a new GM. There's your savior. And then the season comes, and if you're a Detroit Lions fan, every single week still stinks. And you and then you and then you call, you call on the gods of the world to murder and crucify. Get me a new coach, resurrect me a new coach. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? And it doesn't just translate into football. It translates into all kinds of sports, this image. And we're going to resemble that. We become that. Listen to what it says in Romans one twenty-two: Professing to be wise, they, those who worship idols, became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So God gave them up to uncleanliness and the lusts of their hearts. The other one is Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8, says their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. Listen to this now. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, they have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, throats but cannot make a sound. So he's describing for us what an idol is. An idol is something, has eyes, but it really can't see. It has a mouth, but it really can't speak. It has ears, but it can't see. It has hands, but it really can't feel. But then he adds the kicker at the end of the passage. says, and those who make idols are just like those idols. You remember when Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's trying to minister to people, and he's healing the blind, the deaf, and the lame. He's literally making people live life in a way they've never lived life before. And what happens is the Pharisees show up on the scene, and they can't believe that Jesus is doing some of these things. They rebuke him. You remember what Jesus actually says? You you, you have eyes, but you cannot see me. You have ears, but you cannot hear me. You have minds, but you cannot understand me. What Jesus is ultimately saying is you cannot sense the gospel because your lives are too filled with the world. You can't see me because you're too busy worshiping that which is not me. You can't hear me because you're too busy listening to the things that have nothing to do with me. You can't feel me because you're filling your own heart with things, with emotions and other things that are not me. What Jesus ultimately says and what the Bible is ultimately teaching is that if you worship anything other than Jesus, you become like that thing. And ultimately, that thing, according to what Jesus and the Bible is saying, is lifeless, dumb, and has no vitality to it. Right? The, the people that we look to in celebrity culture give us nothing but death, their message is nothing but death. There is no hope in celebrity culture. There is no hope in media. There is no hope. That's not where we find our hope. That's not where we find our attention, our adoration. Our life-giving force does not come from those who have surrounded themselves from every idol there is. Our life force comes from giving our lives completely to Jesus Christ. By revolving our life not around these things that are false, but around the one living God. So let's talk about how we discover our idols. Because hopefully at this point in the message, you're at a point where you're like, okay, I want my life to be surrounded by the gospel of Jesus. I want vitality. I don't want to be blind. I don't want to be deaf. Uh, I want to be able to see God. I want to be able to touch God. I want to feel God. I want to be in a relationship with God. I want to know he's really alive. I don't want this to be something that's far off and distant. How do you discover your idol? Number one, do a survey of what you fear. What do you fear? What scares you? What do you want? <laughs> if you fear humility, your idol may be power and control. If you fear rejection, your idol might be approval. If you fear stress, your idol might be comfort. If you feel un- the, the fear of uncertainty, it may be control. What do you fear? The second one would be check your imagination. What do you day- daydream about when you're bored? What do you daydream about when you're sitting in a waiting room? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? What are your nightmares? What couldn't you live without? Archbishop William Temple once said, your religion is what you do with your solitude. He said, essentially, when you're alone, that's what you really worship, whatever's on your mind. In other words, the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there is nothing else demanding your attention. Some of these things have been helpful for me. Where does my mind go when I'm by myself? Maybe an idol. Here's another one. No one really likes this one, but just do a survey of what you spend. Pull up your your checking account and look at where you spend most of your money. You know why? Because Jesus said wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's what you really worship, whatever you spend your most money on. That's why I love the idea of generosity and the church giving away because it shows that we don't live for ourselves. We live for other people. We're not living for the idol of self. We're living for the gospel, which is about people. Check your spending. A really cool thing to share with you is uh, the weeds are in here this morning. And uh, Matt and and Bryn, how you doing? Good to see you. And uh, they've adopted several children, and some of you have had the opportunity of meeting Cohen. How many of you have met uh, Cohen? Cohen's four years old. Killer kid, man. he's just got one of the best attitudes there is. He's in a wheelchair, and he's going to be in a wheelchair probably the rest of his life. And uh, and they really desired that. Uh, Cohen would have the opportunity to play like other kids play, uh, to explore the beach and the sand and the water and all that stuff. And in order for that to happen, uh, Cohen uh, needed a $6,000 wheelchair that, that they didn't, couldn't quite uh, put the funds for. And someone in our church anonymously said, you know what, I, I don't want to spend my money on myself. I don't want to put more in the savings. I want to buy more Bitcoin. I'm going to give it to gospel purposes. And someone anonymously in our church bought, bought Cohen a brand-new $6,000 wheelchair, he's going to ram through the sand. and <clears throat> Check your spending. Are you a generous person? Do you give? Do you help others? Or do you accumulate for yourself? you got to buy more clothes. you got to get more shoes. you got to save up for that cool car because nothing says who you are quite like your car. Isn't it just a weird thing in our culture that we've attached ourselves, our identity to what you drive? I mean, it's hard for me to admit, and not hard for me to admit, that I'll never drive a Prius. right? I've told you this before. can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it. But if you want to buy me a Tesla, I'll, I'll take that as my idea. Some of you are like, whoa, hey. No, I mean, we, we don't want to be seen in certain clothing. We don't want to be, and all of this is because, we're, we're, we're just prone to giving our hearts to things other than the gospel. So check your spending. Here's another one. Do a social media assessment. Just pull up in your social media and look at the things you've posted in the last year. Because on social media, what you are trying to project, you're trying to project something. You're trying to portray something. Social media isn't something where it's like, hey, look at, look at how open I am with my life. Now listen, I read earlier, there's a time and a season for everything. We we use social media as a church. We think it's a great tool to be used to help propagate the message of the gospel. But like anything, there's a season and a reason for anything. But if you make it an idol, that's a problem. And a lot of us are busy comparing our lives to people. on. Some of us just need to, to get off social media altogether. Some of us just need to get off of it because it's an idol, and it's ruining our lives, and it's taking attention away from the gospel. You're getting too much information, too much feedback, too much tactile feedback. You're being rewarded. That's what social media is about, rewarding you cognitively for clicking on the same things and looking at the same stuff. Look at what you're posting. What are you trying to show people? Because your idol may be there. Another one is just do an assessment of why you attend church at all. Because religion can become an idol. And one of the best ways to, to see if religion or your relationship with Jesus is an idol is, is to answer, answer the question, how do you respond to unanswered prayers and frustrated hopes? When God says no to you, are you crushed by them? When God says no to the house or says no to the relationship, when God says you know takes you down a different road, how do you respond? And if you respond like a child to its father, like a grateful child to its father, I understand, God, you have my interests in mind. I understand that you know the world better than me. I know that you're in control. I know you love me. And so I release my agenda to you. Right? Whose image do you want to be conformed in? That's the question you have to ask. Is it your own image? I mean, for a long time, when I graduated high school, I graduated 1997. All of my friends... All of them, their, their parents were dialed in with my friends. This is what you do. This is, this is where you get scholarships. This is the college you go to. I had all my friends, right? They were all dialed in, man. They were dialed in. They were going to college. They, they knew how to fill out paperwork. You know, my, my family, none of that. I didn't know how to fill out scholarships, I didn't know what college to go to. I just knew I, I needed to get out of the house. That's all I knew. And so I went into the college world and I tried to do what my friends did. I tried to copy what they did. I tried to go to school. try tried to go to classes. try to get the the scholarships and the grant funds and all those different things to go to college and to get my education. You know what was going on in the stillness of my heart that entire time? Jesse, you're supposed to be a pastor. I was like, no. Because I don't want that to be my identity. I don't want to be known as a pastor. I don't want to be seen as a pastor. That's not what I... I don't want that. Had I chosen my own life being a pastor would not be the choice it would have made. But my life is not to be surrounded by my ideals, my, my passion, and what I want, but rather around what God wants. You know what's become really apparent as a pastor? God would not have me do anything else, and if I was doing anything else, I'd be miserable. And as hard as it is to pastor in 2020 and 2021, this is where God has called me and my family Not to live according to our own gratification, but to live for the gratification that belongs to Jesus. And ultimately we know that it isn't my happiness that's at stake, it's my holiness, but your holiness actually leads to happiness. So do a social media assessment. See if religion is an idol. How do you respond when God says no? And here's the last one. Survey your uncontrolled emotions. Just do a survey of what makes you angry, It makes you depressed, sad, because it may be that that emotion is rooted to an idol. So, idol worship, it's a big deal. It's a huge theme in the Bible because we're not to be worshiping that which is ultimately going to make us deaf, dumb, blind, and numbing us to the feelings of God. So how do we solve it? How do we get to a place where we no longer worship that which is false idols, but we get to a place where we worship the one and true God? Here's the first one. Number one, you have to recognize you're not your own. You were bought with a price. And the Bible literally says that salvation belongs to who? Belongs to the Lord. You belong to God. And that in Colossians, it tells us that we are to be conformed, not to the image of idols, not to the image of the world, but conformed to the image of God. Amen? And as we give our lives to the Lord, he molds us and shapes us into who he wants us to be. Man, if I had planned my life out, I would not have had it go the way that it's gone. But I'm so glad that it's gone the way that it's gone because God is the author of my story and he's the author of your story. And that story always ends in an ultimate reconciliation with God if you've given your life to Jesus. Again, to quote Keller, he says, the great and central basis of Christian assurance He says, the basis to our assurance of salvation is not how much our hearts hearts are set on God. Let me stop there for a moment because that part of the quote carries some heavy significance. Your assurance in salvation, your relationship to God, according to what Keller is saying here, is not grounded on how much your heart is set on the Lord, right? At this point, many of you should be saying, and as many in the first service, I know I've got idols in my life. I'm supposed to do something with these things, and that's to murder them and take them out. How can God love me when my heart is so radically set on other gods? The rest of the quote. Our hope, our assurance is not set on how much our hearts are set on God, but rather on how unshakably his heart is set on us. What holds us close to him is him. This is why we must be conformed in his image, to be in relationship with him. Um, Friday, my baby sister got married. Yeah. So Friday, we had a big party for her, right? And um, The Bible describes... The, the Bible describes our intimacy with Jesus like that of a marriage. Marriage's wedding weddings should be one of the most beautiful things there is because it echoes and shows the purposes of our relationship with Jesus. And there's all kinds of imagery there that works and, and kind of doesn't work, but just stick with me. And, and that God the Father, he's the Father. And the Father has been part of the bride, which is the church. He dresses her and adorns her in white and he purifies her. And he walks the bride, if you will, down the aisle of the world. And he hands that bride to his only begotten son that is Jesus. And he gives the bride to Christ. That's what weddings exemplify. And so, some of you know, there, there's a lot of emotion in this for me because my baby sister's dad passed away in a car accident, so her dad's not here. So that emotion's there. There. And she asked me to walk her down the aisle to take the place of her dad. And I was doing okay yesterday for the most part. I was doing all right. And then we were hiding in this back room. There's the contrast. You know this back room. There's a back room over here. We store stuff in it. It doesn't look very pretty. So there's this contrast of this unprettiness and my beautiful sister and me standing there trying to keep my stuff together. And we're getting ready to come out the door and walk down the aisle and I was totally okay until she looked at me and said, will you pray for me? And I lost it. And I was at that, you know, if you're crying, you can't talk. And, uh, and so I walk her down the aisle, and I'm just a blubbering mess. I give her to Wesley and let Wesley know, if you hurt her, I'll kill you. <laughs> and um, we celebrated. A little later, my sister my sister, my sister, my, my beautiful little girl, my daughter, she was up here with, with my youngest son because they were part of the wedding. And I knew that that moment had significance when my daughter came to me after the service and said, Daddy, I've never seen you cry before. Something stood out to her. And the way in which I, I share you the story is it ties in beautifully, I think, with idol worship and why we should not worship idols is because ultimately our hearts should only be for Christ alone. He's the only one that's worth living for. The Bible goes on and, and would share some places. For instance, in the passage it says, approach me in humility, for there should be a silence there. And the secret to living, really the secret to a good living, Jesus would tell us all the way back in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3: Have no other idols, have no other gods before me. Right? Marriage echoes to us the beauty of being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sunday mornings remind us of the beauty of being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Bible studies during the week remind us. Prayers remind us. Being generous reminds us. Living outside of ourselves reminds us. Jesus is the only thing that's worth living for. Do you want to see? Do you want to hear? Do you want to touch? Do you want to feel? Do you want your life to be lived with great significance? Shove aside your idols. Knock them down and give everything over to the Lord and live for him and all of his glory for all of eternity. Amen? Would you stand with me as we close in song and prayer? Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you, Lord, that even though our hearts Are not always focused on you as they should, Lord, that your heart is totally focused on us. You are so faithful, so loving, and so kind. I pray we leave here this morning with a little bit more withal to knock down the old dead wooden things in life and to pursue your heartbeat, to pursue you. And through that, may we prosper. We trust you for that work which only you can accomplish. In Jesus' name the church said. Amen. Alrighty guys, we're gonna sing a couple songs in closing, and feel free to put your hands together and we'll just celebrate. Mm We sin and lift up our hands, for the joy of the Lord is our strength We bow down and worship Him now, how great, how awesome is He